Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast, where I'm joined, as always, by the head notch for himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, as always, here in the studio. And uh, we have an exciting show today. We are into our season four. Yeah. Uh, the first episode of season four. So it's like the fall. Everybody's been right. like, waiting all summer for yeah, yeah. it to come back. I remember those days, Paul. Yes, exactly. Like, TV when things are on TV, back. you right? can just binge watch 20 episodes in 21 hours. All right, right. You know, and it's like the weather was still warm. It was still kind of light out yeah. late, you know, and you had look, looking forward to your favorite show coming back on. Yeah, exactly. And it's like we are, we, I feel like a dinosaur. You right. Say, I do you know, too. But it was We're a classic. Different, a different We're a throwback. We're a classic throwback. throwback. Right. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are cooler, I think. Mm-hmm. Or at least we'll tell each other that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in this, uh, in this season, we are going to talk about buying a practice. The biggest um, decision of your dental career. Yeah, it will be. And, and possibly your life. I agree. Right. Uh, and so today's, uh, episode, the first episode of the season, we're going to kind of explore a somewhat broad topic of, uh, what to look for yeah. and what to avoid. And so, uh, try to help people give them some ideas as to you know, what uh, what types of things are important, what may not be important. And um, I suspect that over the course of this discussion, we're also going to end up talking about you know, uh, the importance of not doing things that other people think right. are the right way to do it, yeah. right? So be your own dental practice purchaser. For sure. Uh, and uh, just basically share our experience with the audience of types of things that we see people do right and wrong. Yeah. and. Uh, ways to try to make the process maybe a little less stressful. For sure, yeah. I mean, it's you got to treat and plan your own happiness, I always say. Treat, we talk about treatment plans in dentistry, but your own career happiness. And this is really the biggest part of your entire treatment plan. Uh, you're making a decision that you're going to be um, attached to, stuck with is a negative term, right? Attached yeah. to for decades most of the time. Yeah. You know, And I think it's really important to mm-hmm. kind of start off with what are you looking for, what are you not looking for? I don't know if I mentioned this, Rob, but Patrick Winston, How to Speak, is just one of my favorite uh, content pieces to look for. He talks to uh, MIT students about how to find a job. It has like 13 million YouTube views. Yeah, I've yeah. actually, you've, you've turned yeah. me on that. It's a cool, and it's always cool lecture. Telling people, you know, building a fence around your idea. What is your idea? What is your idea not? And I think sometimes, since we don't get a lot of this talk in dental school, they don't even know what types of practices are really out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think then, and as I said at the outset, I think it's important too. That's what type of practice are you looking for? Yeah. You know, and a lot of times people will ask us just generally, not just in this subject, but others, like, what's the right way to do this? You know, it's like, well, it yeah. all depends, you know, like just because, 
you know, uh, you like a house, Paul, right. doesn't mean that Jeff is going to like that exactly. same house, right? And nobody, everybody has different tastes. There's different things that are important, which is cool. And that's, that's why I think pretty much you could walk into just about any dental practice in the country and no two are identical. Right. And I don't think, although there might be some DSOs that are kind of rubber stamped that yes, are stamped exactly, out that right? look yeah, kind, yeah. Of, kind of the yeah, same, yeah. right? But, um, you know, it's important for you to, I think, not fall into the sort of the uh, the trap of the the perfect what is deemed to be perfection on social media right. or by your peers and you know sometimes there's more to it than revenue or right, exactly. production or uh, EBITDA yeah um, or, or total size physically in the in the space in there but I think it's you know kind of as we start to drill down into it pun intended and someone who's you know joined my father's dental practice we purchased the second location someone who helps people buy and sell practices looks at practices. I think what dentists who are listening to this thinking, I'm going to buy my first dental practice, you know, most dentists buy one dental practice. There are people who own five, six, seven uh, double digit dental practices, but most of the time you're making a once decision in buying a practice. And I think one thing I'll, I'll share as somebody who does this is put yourself inside of other people's practices before you need to buy a practice. You know, you could walk around and look at homes in Philadelphia for fun and see this one is a four-story walk-up, this one is uh, in mm -hmm. the suburbs. But I think what is maybe you don't realize, Rob, since law can be practiced now virtually, mm -hmm. dentistry cannot. Mm -hmm. right. And most dentists are just not even in many different practices for context of what other practices are like. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really great point. I and mean, I've never thought about that. I'd, mm -hmm. I mean, most people, I guess you, aside, you kind of take dental school out in that clinical environment out, you had a dentist or two kind of growing up possibly, and now you have your current dentist that you right. may go see. And, and I just want to interject that when you go to the dentist growing mm -hmm. up, you only go to that one room. They never like, hey, today's yeah. the day we're going to tour you around right, behind the your, scenes and look yeah. at the sterilization yeah, center, exactly. Rob, you know? Right. So you want to see what's in the basement? You know? So my not ordinary tip to start off is- Connect with dentists and ask if you can come hang out at their practice. You'll be amazed at how many people say, yes, Jeff and I do that. If a dentist said to me, hey, I want to come to Pennington Dental Associates in February for half a day and just see what you do, I say, great, let's set it up. Because it's like your practice is like a child. You're proud of it. And dentists are very unique people. I'm one of them. But they tend to do really well with, I'd like to come and observe in your practice. So I would recommend picking a place you want to be in and just kind of contacting dentists and say, I'll bring some pizza, I'll bring cookies, I'll bring coffee, and kind of check it out. You'll learn so much. One of the things I talk about, Rob, this kind of goes back to a previous season, but one of the reasons I tell uh, job seekers to interview as many interviews as possible is you get to see inside so many different practices. Yeah. And you get to kind of learn. Yeah. So when it's what to look for, I think you need to create context with different um, opportunities to be inside a dental yeah. practice. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you know what's what the difference right. is between these two things if, if you've only seen one? You know, it's sort of like, I like this, but what's your basis for comparison? It's a really, it's a great, great point. I've never personally thought about that, Paul. So yeah, um, get out there and, and look around, shop around, get right. yourself in the in the room. That's interesting. So, and, and, and before we launch into some specific suggestions too, in addition to that, I think 
you know, the importance of these deals, as you said, these are once or one transactions uh, for most people. But, you know, it's difficult to, as you say, you give it back. Like, right. You can't just say, I changed my mind a year later um, or I don't want this anymore at some point. I mean, you, you've borrowed a lot of money to buy the practice from the bank and you might be fortunate enough to be able to sell it for what you paid for it, maybe. But yeah. if things didn't Usually go well. Usually not, though, because we talked about throughout these dental offices, <clears throat> we talk about there are, are people places, not pizza places. And there's always a red flag if someone goes, I bought this practice two years ago and I want to sell it. And even if they got into a specialty program or even if their spouse got a giant, awesome job across the country, it doesn't come with, oh, yay, right? You know, right. most of these, you and I are involved, these are purchasing of an existing practice where the dentist has been there for over 20 years. Right. Most of the time, you are looking at someone who said, I've been in this place for 20 years. I know the ins and outs of this practice. I know the patients because that's really what you're buying. Mm -hmm. So I think that the the very bad return policy on dental practices is important to, uh, <laughs> to think about. It's not, it's not Zappos. Yeah. Um, well, and, yeah, and that's that's absolutely true. I mean, I don't. Uh, if somebody said that this was a practice that was purchased by the by the seller 18 months before. I'd say that's a yellow flag. Yeah. Not the end of the world, but right. yeah, we're going to have some questions. Like, uh, There's usually just suspicious. a lot of urgency to that mm. sale for mm. whatever reason, because it's not a normal circle of life thing. Mm. And whenever there's an urgency to a sale for any reason, you just have to have your eyes wide open as to why, even if it's on its face, a good reason. Yeah. You've, you know? you've truly spent too much time with lawyers and too <laughs> yeah. much time doing dental practice yes, transitions, exactly. Paul, to yeah. say that. You, yes. yeah, yeah. you have evolved. Yeah, yes, I am. Or you've been ruined. Yeah, got a lot of know. scar tissue, not so thick and skin. <laughs> I should see a doctor about that. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> you've come to the dark side. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when we talk about, you know, what to look for, I mean, there are different types of practices, yeah. right? You know, so sort of the uh, um, kind of look at a couple of broad categories. You know, you've got what was referred to as like the well-oiled machine, yeah. right? The practice that's quote unquote right. firing on all cylinders. Uh, it's got a great team generating a lot of revenue. It's run profitably. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you have what I'm going to say the dreaded, right? Because I normally um, am very suspicious and 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 uh, hesitant to to, to get uh, clients involved in the the, the fixer upper. Right. Right. I think uh, a lot of times people fall into the trap, I think, with a fixer upper that it's just going to be like on uh, HGTV. Right, yes. that I buy this practice for cheap. I fix it up and it's worth a lot more. And look at all these patients yeah. by the end of the show. Like we went from like some dingy old. And one thing I want to point out, you practice you, to like some. You've helped talk mom. me out of a fixer upper a decade ago, which I was glad you did because I said, Rob, I want to do this thing in this exciting part of the city. You said, you don't want to do this. I said, but I want to do it. And you were right. I was wrong. Right. This fixer-upper was a small practice, revenue-wise, size-wise. One thing I think we should point out, the well-oiled machine versus the fixer-upper, when most people fix up a house, they live somewhere else while it's being fixed up. <laughs> yeah. You have to fix up while you live inside the practice yeah, and right. make money, and it's a very difficult thing to do. And fixer-upper for a practice, listeners, could be revenue, but a lot of times it's just physical space, right? Like, oh, sure. I mean, if you got to like, someone goes, you can, once they go, you can knock down a wall. I mean, you might be out of commission in those two operatories for months, you know? So, right. you know, we 
fix up our own dental practice and we only do it over these Christmas and holiday breaks because it can shut down a whole operation. Yeah. Well, you're talking about like physical fixer-upper yeah. too, but like I'm going to go, you know, to me, fixer-upper means more than just having to knock down walls and, and put in new right. new equipment and, and change the look of the practice. I mean, the fixer-upper is also, this practice has horrendously high overhead or uh, you know, the uh, payroll is too high or there are different problems with the or practice, which makes time. it unperforming. Yeah. And really one of the things that I think I've had to learn as a buyer and broker is if someone says they work full time, like 200 days a year, mm-hmm. and they only collect $300,000, they have this hobby practice and they really can't possibly be working full time. They may be tinkering around their practice. Right. They may be sitting in the back. <laughs> they but left I, the house, yes, right? But yes, but I think- that's a huge red flag when they go, oh, I work four days a week and I produce yeah. $310,000. And I want to say, well, what are you doing during these days? Because $1,500 of revenue for a dental practice, just in case we have dental students listening, I'm new, is in, incredibly low for a day, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And some mm-hmm. of them even say they have hygienists. And sometimes I have to hold myself back because I want to be, a, I don't want to be insulting, but I want to say, what are both of you doing all day here? Yeah, right. Well, I think, you know, there's there's a few other contrasts too that I look at. And I when I think about the the fixer upper, and again, this is not just physical fixer upper, this is, you know, really an underperforming practice, right? Yeah. You know, you if you look at the practice that's firing on all cylinders, that means there's more than likely there's a lot of profit being thrown off yeah. of that. So buying a practice is different than buying a house right. that you're gonna fix up. I mean, the only way you make money off of your house is if you buy it for X and sell it for Y and then you get the delta there. Yeah. But in the the practice ownership world, if you're going to buy a practice and hold it for the next 10, 15, 20 years, it almost doesn't matter how much more you sell it for than what you purchased for if you're making a million dollars a year, for example, right? Right, And so that that practice is throwing off income, you know, and so that more often than not, I see that that is the, the number that matters as opposed to the the resale value oh, sure. of your of I your actually practice. have to say this, and I, and I say this with positivity, but more at, with positivity and realism. If you take what a dentist, dentist buys a practice, works there for 30 years and sells it, they make income for working their practice, but like the amount they make more for selling it is really a poor hourly dollar per hour investment. Right? Horrible, right? I mean, because I just want to share dental hours or dog ear hours. So, you know, whether you work 200 days a year, eight hours a day, 1600 hours, you're putting in another 800 hours on other things, right? So you're, you, you know, if you buy a practice for and it bought it for 700,000 and sell it for a million, what you said exactly right, Rob, the real value is what it provides to you for income for mm-hmm. all those years. Yes, it's nice to sell it at the end, but I think there's just a real misunderstanding of how good an investment a dental practice is, the one you work in. Yes, right. there's DSOs. Yes, there's group practices when you get into six, seven practices. But the one you're buying is really the the dental house you're going to show up at every day. And it's got to give you profit. It's got to, you got to have the right people there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think as we talk about what to look for, since you have not gone to Dennis Fantasy Camp, Rob, I will share, I'm the work with my dad, five operatories, and we bought a practice three operatories, and our biggest challenge that causes a crying side is not enough operatories. Mm-hmm. Because you are limited in modern day dentistry with all the things that you do, so more ops, the better. So we know, I don't know if you kind of probably get this with your clients, it's like, I wanna buy this three op practice outside right. there, you're like, it's already, it would be hard for me to tell someone for their first dental practice 
to say that that would make a lot of sense as a general dentist. Mm -hmm. Specialists might be different, and endodontist might be different, but you need a lot of ops to do your thing as a general dentist. Right, and that's and that's a great lead into the next point with this, which is if you're buying a quote-unquote fixer-upper, is it something that can be fixed? Right. And there are certain things that can be fixed and improved on. Uh, if, if, they're, if the practice is... Has is plumbed and has three uh, equipped operatories, and there's no room for any more. Right. You can't make more space, so that is that's a, a not a fixable problem. And it, well, some of it, it just says, since I'm the only dentist at this table, uh, some of the space is for your morale. Because I have a very close friend who has an amazing practice in New York City. He does amazingly well, and his physical space at now he's 47 it causes him a lot of morale problems because he doesn't have any space to go right. when there's downtime. Right. He sometimes sits in his operatory if his patient doesn't show up. So even though he is earning incredible income and even though he would say he's had a good dental career and he does amazing dentistry, he's like, I wish I had a little space to myself. That's kind of the nature of the beast for he, that market. Yeah, though. right. Right. <clears throat> um, but he, you know, that's just what you want to look at too, not just the operatories. What does the physical space look sure. like for your team to be able to be there? Is there an area for people to sit? Is there a lunchroom. So I think the physical space and then, you know, that's a P for physical space. And then uh, the patients are what to look for too, right? Mm -hmm. Is it is it the patient base that you interact well with? Right. We all know this from, you know, I did, I'm a dentist now at Rob and I, my question for the students was, if you had to sell cars for the rest of your life, would you want to sell a Mercedes, a Lexus, a Volvo, a Honda? And it was no judgment on the money that you would make. It would just be people immediately know that clientele, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to see fewer people that are more, ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna see a lot of people who buy Hondas, that is their first car, it's grandparents, it's you know, that. So I think dentists don't really get a lot of good insight in dental school as to how important the patient base is to your long-term sanity and success. Right, and if you're, you're, you're buying the goodwill of the practice, essentially you're buying these patient relationships. Right. And if you're not, if that patient base isn't the patient base that you have in your vision, then you know to right. come in and say I'm going to fix this. Then well, you know if you're going to scrap it all and just basically start from start fresh with a brand new type of patient, what what did you pay for? You do a startup. See so our exactly. friends at Ideal Practices, not just one resource, and do that and build your vision that way. You have yeah. to. You have got what I um share with people when I coach them. This is if you can pay to fix it, it's not a problem, right? So I know you hate the carpets. I, I get it, but you can pay to fix that. It's Easy. not a problem, right? If it's a patient thing or a physical space size thing. Or uh, a demographic right. thing, right? Like, it, I mean, if, if somebody's been there for 30 years and the practice is underperforming, maybe it's because there are too many dentists right. in the neighborhood. Yeah. And you can come in with the most dazzling business plan and marketing plan. But like, if there aren't people, like, right. available patients to put in the chair, then you're just spending money that is... There's no prospect of, of return. Yeah, and I, I, I was made me think of something. I was telling you before, uh, I was at a dog birthday party last night, which he thought was funny. And uh, I, yeah, did. I, I did. I mean, I, I think hopefully, but, I think our listeners live, probably we, think we it's funny too. We live in a too. building in Philly, and we get to know, we have a dog park there, and we get to know the dog parents. And it was funny, so- they Well, said, let me ask you this before you go. Do you, how long did it take you to, to learn the names of the dog parents as opposed to the dogs? I, I have a notes in my iPhone. I knew the dogs. I call exactly. him uh, Kane's dad. Kane's, Kane's dad, the dog, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I, you know, we have like all these call, similar- Pepper's mom. Friends, right, exactly. <laughs> like, what's that person's name? Like, my camera's like, I have no idea. Yeah, it's Pepper's mom. Remember. So I got Daphne and Drew, eight and four. I got Tilly and Mary. And they said, come on up. I said, we got nothing going on. We're coming up. So it was all the dogs were running around the hall. It was great. They bought food. But we were the only people that came with kids, right? Right. And the people were younger. So I 
place. They know it'd be a good service, guys. And they thought this was hilarious. Said, instead of us getting babysitters, we will rent our children to you so you can see what it's like to have children, right? <laughs> you can have a whole weekend of being with the kids. And they thought that was funny. But I say this with now getting back to this practice ownership thing in buying a practice. There are so many phenomenal associate positions out there where associates are earning between two and $400,000 a year that you want to make sure that when you buy a practice, it's one that you want to work in for all these years because there's opportunities to be successful without buying one. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it is accurate that most practice owners have the opportunity to be more successful financially, have more freedom, right? Mm -hmm. But that all comes with buying the right practice. Mm -hmm. Right. And and again, in, in the, the fixer-upper versus the firing all cylinders practice or the well-oiled machine, if, if you're going buying that underperforming practice, there needs to be uh, a plan and a reasonable path to, to grow it. And I will say, too, that the other thing, and then maybe we can move on to our next you know, sort of subtopic with this, but um, I think a lot of times people fall into the trap, and I, I do believe it's a trap, that it's it's less risky right. to buy a small underperforming practice because you only, you know, I put all these these statements in quotes, air quotes, Paul, you only have to borrow $350,000 or right. $275,000 from the bank. Uh, I mean, to me, I look at that and say, well, geez, there's not a whole lot of room you know, a cushion there between, you know, defaulting, you know, failing and making right. money in this practice, right? Because, you know, the line is tight. You know, I, would, like, I would share, I, I'm echo that too. If someone was asking me, because dentists love details, Rob, they, they love the exact answers to things. Between 900,000 and 1.2 million, I think is the best $300,000 range to look for. Because well beyond that, you just need to make sure you can do that type of dentistry. Doesn't mean it's impossible. So right. if you had a $1.7 million practice on the table, of course, look at it. That's better than four hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. But you want to practice that. Yeah, you're exactly right. That is is bringing enough revenue where there's some wiggle room for changes. Uh, yeah, downturns. You know, or, or or to or to like stay in the black. Right. Right. You know, like if you're so close to that, you know, I'm in the black or in the black or red. You know, in, in a small practice, you lose a few patients. You're closed a few days. You have a few slow days. Whatever the case may be, all of a sudden now you're not making money. Yeah, a bigger operation, you could take a little bit of a hit, and you're still making money, right? right? And so, like the smaller it is, the closer your margin for error shrinks too. Right. And also, know? um, I have a feeling this you you know a lot more about real estate than I do, but like when people buy a home they probably buy nicer stuff for the home than the people used to have, right? The people selling the home are like, that's my couch of 20 years. Yeah. But as soon as you buy a home, you have this desire to make it a little better. With dentistry, you want to buy new equipment sometimes. You want to put in technology that previous seller didn't have. So if you're doing that with a $400,000 practice, it can become really tight and anxiety producing for you as the owner where you have a million dollar practice, you just have a lot more mm. room to do that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then then you get into the sort of the patient perception with that, you know, because that's a certain type of practice that right. that you're trying to now change, which you know kind of gets into you know vision, right. you know, and what you know what what kind of practice do you want, right? right? And 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 trying to buy a practice based on what the numbers are, what the potential loan is, or what somebody else thinks is a good idea. If that's not the practice that you want, and your plan is to buy this practice and make all sorts of changes, as you said a few minutes ago, at a certain point, like maybe you should have just done a startup, right? Because right? Yeah. if you're going to change this, change that, 
make these changes and, and try to, to basically, you know, reconfigure what you got. I mean, we all know, like you live in an old house. It's, it's, it's a lot. Like anytime you do a home improvement project, it's like, oh, wow, yeah. where, where are we going to find behind that wall? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's just, it's hard to change an existing thing. And, you know, a lot, a lot of times it's just easier just to start from the ground yeah, up, you know, sure. and, and, um, and you don't have to worry what's behind, behind that wall. So, um, and as we talk about that, you know, I think, Let's talk about the size a little bit, yeah. Paul. You know, is bigger is better, right? Well, the the size <laughs> is that, that you know the the ops availability and the ability to do more. I think if you're if you're in a six to ten operatory type of world, I think that's really great for up to date dentistry and being able to have things. And you know, usually with the more ops also means more space, right? You can put in a CBCT. Like we have a practice where like, I wish I could, we just can't put in a CBCT, the 3D x-ray machine. Mm -hmm. There's no special thing we can do, Right, but it's over, mm -hmm. right? right? I don't know, if we put in the waiting room, I think that would not be good. We're just taking x-rays while people are sitting waiting for their appointments. <laughs> I think a van out probably front. also a violation of HIPAA. Whatever you do is a violation <laughs> right. of HIPAA, right? Don't, don't even speak in your practice. Potential it's a violation, potential, potential, potential violation of HIPAA. Violation. So I think um, size that way is, you know, six to 10 operatories, you know, I also, as we get through this season, we'll talk about these things. You know, we talk with, we talk with, I talk with people daily as you do about groups looking to buy practices. So if you are thinking about one day selling your practice, whenever that is, uh, more ops is attractive to whoever's going to buy that, whether it's a private practice dentist or DSO. So my vote, Rob, is the six to 10 op size. But by the same token, you know, when we talk about what you want, what your vision is, if you have six to 10 ops, I'm thinking you probably need two dentists in there, right? It, six ops is probably, six ops is a one dentist okay. thing still. But yes, you're but right. Ten. Once you get to 10, 10 availability, I mean, I guess just as I've gone through this world for 20 years, I just always need more space, right? And I'm just like, even mm -hmm. if I was a solo dentist, you wouldn't necessarily have to equip every op. Right. And you know, you, you'd talk about the lease and things like that, so you're, you're right. Um, you're paying for it. At for least, sure. you know, the six, the six op minimum for, so, cause you're gonna have hygienists working there, mm -hmm. you know, that can take up two or three ops. Mm -hmm. And dentistry has changed dramatically from when my dad was a young dentist, you know, working out of one room, doing your one little patient, you got people coming in for post-op checks for surgery, these things here. So it's just like the ability to, it's like tables at a restaurant, right? We're, we're sure. home to the BYOB, right? right, right. Sometimes <laughs> you want to go into the BYOB, you go, I can't do it, right? You see immediately it's all taken up, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you go to park, and you yeah. say, there's a lot of tables here. I think I have a chance of yeah. getting a table. So I think, you know. Well, I would say too, though, you know, I mean, it's like what you're looking for. You know, if you're if you're up for a 10-chair practice, yeah. I mean, if you're not up for a 10-chair practice and that's not sort of how you want to to practice dentistry, and, and then, then, point, then you shouldn't do it. The fewer right? ops, the more fee-for-service you're going to be. So I don't know, like the fewer ops, right? If you have a mm -hmm. four-operatory practice where it's you and one hygienist, it usually means you're delivering advanced care, whether it's cosmetics, implants, something else, because you don't need as many. If you're in a more insurance-based office, you have to bring, it's not a secret, you got to bring more patients in to make the same amount of money. Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Those are their important issues. And that leads us into, you know, the fee-for-service versus PPO, two fairly different business models, right? Uh, I know, mean, I, I've changed my thoughts on this dramatically over the past few years. Uh, to me, taking over a fee-for-service practice comes with fewer headaches with the addition of you have got to be the same type of clinical dentist as the person mm -hmm. you're taking over for. Mm -hmm. But as we'll get to in later episodes, the credentialing with insurance, the spoiled guac PPO, not allowing certain people to get the same fee schedule, 
as the person selling, mm -hmm. right? Which is a big Northeast challenge. Yeah, yeah. So I just, to start that awareness, I think there are fewer challenges to taking over a fee-for-service practice provided you can deliver the same type of clinical dentistry. Because most of the time fee-for-service practices are delivering a special type of clinical dentistry. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's better, just means it's like, that dentist is known for doing clear liners. That dentist is known for doing cosmetic dentistry. Right. But, you know, and this is the caveat that I think that you you noted there, which is you need to be similar clinically. Yeah. You know, so you can't just say, hey, the holy grail is the fee-for-service practice. And I'm going to buy this fee-for-service practice just because it's a fee-for-service practice. And, you know, half of the the the... the the, the clinical dentistry that's being done there are things that you generally don't do or are uncomfortable doing, yeah. you know? So then that's not necessarily a good thing. And I'll add in too, you have to, you have to have a very, the end, you have to have a very patient personality for the patient demographic and fee-for-service practices. So you could be actually, I should elaborate, elaborate that yeah. you could do the clinical dentistry, but there's, there is a high maintenance effect to the patient base and fee-for-service practices, which I think is totally normal because mm -hmm. they're not, utilizing insurance a lot. They're coming out of network. So you just have to be the patient, the dentist with patient communication skills and leadership skills who want to deal with it. We just had two dentists in Philly, Travis Campbell and Todd Fleischman, who are about the di as different as you can get. And Travis goes, I don't want your patients, Todd. And Todd goes, I want your patients, Travis. Yeah, Travis I actually goes, cut that part. <laughs> Travis goes, I'd rather freaking see 20 patients and Mrs. Smith's in network. And that's Travis's life. And both of them are wildly successful in their own lanes. Yeah. But if they did the, what was that like show with the Freaky Friday swap, right, right. they would be very upset. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I don't think Todd could work at the pace Travis does and runs around. And I don't think Travis would like to answer 16 questions about this crown. Right. 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 So I don't know if that helps you with yeah. that part there. No, I think it definitely does. I think it's it's great for our audience to hear that because I think a lot of times, this, again, keep keep coming back to this. It's, it, it, it depends what you're looking for and what's good for... Travis isn't good for Todd and vice versa. Yeah. And just because, you know, somebody says on, you know, a blog or a social right. media post that fee for service is the way to go. It's not if that's not the type of dentistry that's you feel like providing. You know? The PPO part, just to add for a second, you have to be ready to see more patients. You definitely do good dental care, but it is no secret when you are very involved with dental insurances, it will affect the type of dentistry you're able to do. You have got to be able to manage that. We know the Tasmanian uh, Dennis Maudie, right? right? He's perfect with that. He takes every insurance. He's not saying, I'm so angry. I can't do this uh, zirconia crown. They want me to do a PFM. He says, no big deal. So that's the side to the PPO side. Right. That it's not the right word isn't compromises. It's just an understanding that you have this other party called insurance that is literally affecting your life every single day. Right, right. You just have to be ready for that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, another thing to think about is just the culture of the practice, right? So, uh, uh, Jamie Amos, you know, the, the, yeah. the ideal practices founder, used to say that you know a surfer only a surfer yeah. dentist should buy a surfer dentist's practice, right? So, sort of, and that goes from a patient base to the people that work there, uh, and I think this gets back to you know buying something that is consistent with your vision is what we're yeah. talking about you know and again I said this a little while ago that you know the the people that want to buy a practice and then make all these changes to it it's like, like by the time you've done that why did you pay that and money it's for also that practice? The, the, the biggest in a transition which we'll talk about later but when you say the culture 
the team that's there, because the dentist is now on his or her way out, right? They may be there six months, they may be the year, but the team knows that that dentist is leaving. You really got to get that team on your side. And if it's a cultural misfit between you and the team, it's going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. So you got to be very mentally flexible. Oh, I'm so glad Sally's been here for 15 years. I'll deal with her. I'm so glad this hygienist has been, not glad, but yeah. That is where I really sometimes envy the startup. I've never done one, uh -huh. but you're just hiring all your own team. Right. Right. If you see this in NFL coaching, very frequently, this will happen soon, right? On that Monday afterwards, like a lot of coaches will be fired and their whole teams. Yeah. It's rare to have the head coach fired and the whole team stay. Not impossible. But yeah. so what happens with dentistry is that the, the leader transitions, all the people working there stay, which can be great for patient care because they still see those faces. It's just that you want to make sure that that culture is one that you can uh, take over for yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that, that, that's a good point. And, and I think, you know, again, when we're talking about either fixer-uppers or, you know, just culture, cultural similarities and your vision, it, I think people sometimes underestimate how difficult it is to manage or change the team. Right. You know, like you can't just come in and sometimes and we'll have these conversations with people. They say, well, the payroll is like way too high. So, you know, but I can fix that. Oh, really? Right. How? Right. You know, you're just going to cut everybody's pay. You're going to cut their benefits. Like that's going to go over really well. Or, you know, part of what you're buying is, again, the goodwill, the patient relationships. But the patient relationships right. are relationships not just with the selling dentist. They're with the people that work in the office. So you're just going to fire everybody and hire new people. Like you can do all these things, but, and, but, but that, that's going to really bode really well for your transition and plan. And just so you, the world field of dentistry, you're, you're counting on these team members to get you through your day. Right. You know, like you can work in your own laptop doing law, right? You can review documents and you have a great team, but you don't need them in dentistry. If you do not have a dental assistant, you cannot produce the $6,000 you need to keep the office open. Right. So you gotta, you have to really look at yourself and see, am I the type of person who can take on an existing team? I've done it and it's, I think it works itself out. Some people stay for six months, some people don't stay. I've had people mm -hmm. stay for the entire time. Um, also, I mean, at the time of this recording, finding team members, very difficult, yeah. right? Um, so you may as well, Start with the ones that are there. It's right? not changing anytime soon either, <laughs> yeah. from the looks of things. But you know, but I think that's it. I think you know, it's important to realize that if you're not happy with that team, right. how they're paid or how they behave, how they perform, ah, you know, like the, you're you're stacking the. I mean, deck. how could you go and say, uh, "Hey, everyone, uh, special surprise! The dentist is now selling the practice. And I'm going to pay you less. Just don't buy that practice." Yeah. Well, that's just you're, it. I mean, especially <laughs> if it's a practice that maybe it's not even the the well-oiled machine necessarily or the fixer-upper. It's something in between. Yeah. You know, you, you as you said, you need those people to be able to produce. It's a different thing if you do a startup and you right. don't have as many patients and then you don't need as many team members. Right. You can hire those people incrementally, but you can't just have half of the team when you have a practice that's that's, that's grossing $750,000. Right. Exactly. If they walk out, you got a problem, yeah. right? And, you know, the you don't go back to, you know, uh, provide and say, well, you know, I borrowed that money, you know, but now right. I've kind of devalued I mean, my practice in and my I dental can't pay the bill world, anymore. I mean, there are dentists who can't find a hygienist anywhere and they don't know how to do, deal with it, right? So if you're taking over a practice and there's two hygienists, start working with them. And if you find something to be a deal breaker, you know, 
you could move on from them. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I think that's a key point that dentists don't pay enough attention to. And they think because they're in their little bubble that they're going to go in and do these things that it just backfires on them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it may be more difficult than you think. Yeah. Right. Um, and so as we talk about these, you know, look, if you're buying a practice, you can't expect everything to be perfect. Right. right? So there are going to be compromises that need to be made. Um, it, what sh- things you compromise on and how many compromises yeah. you make, that that becomes, you know, a, a good thing to be uh, to be aware of, you know, yeah. because if you again, if you if there's so many things that are changing or so many things that you're not happy about at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, what is it that I'm buying and why? Right. Yeah, but I would say someone is compromised on stuff you can pay to fix. They don't have a CBCT, you can buy one. That's a that's an easy one, right? Uh, they don't have a scanner and they take old school impressions. Nope, easy to compromise that. They pay their office manager too much. That's harder, right? You know, so I think the compromises that you need to make are ones that um, still gets you to a position where you can build what you want. Right. You know, you can't look for total perfection. But there should be. You should know your own deal breakers. Mm-hmm. You know? Hey, look, don't buy a PPO practice if you want right. to turn it into a fee for service I mean, practice, dentists, right? I, I know we don't learn any business in dental school, zero. Okay, then you try to cobble together these business things, and now there's podcasts and more things, and the costuses. So there's a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. But dentists still say, "I'm going to buy a PPO practice and then drop all the insurances and turn it to fee for service." I don't really know if anyone's actually ever done that successfully yeah. with. The practice transition. Right. I'm not saying someone who's 15 years into their career sure. and now the next 15, they want to do it different. That's, That's different. a whole different totally story. Totally different. Right. Well, because you didn't have to pay $850,000 at that 15 year yeah. mark to, you know, to go to the next step. Yeah. So I, I just think they just say things that are just um, delusional at times, beyond optimistic, as Gary B. talks about. What's yeah. between optimism and delusion? And sometimes it's, right. you know, oh, you're optimistic? I think you're more delusional. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, and delusional can destroy your investment. Right? Yeah. So I think that's a really um, important point. The compromises have to be, they really can't be giant things. It's basically that. that. I mean, they can't be giant big picture things in the practice. Well, I like with the way you put it. I mean, and, and there are exceptions to, to the rule, but like if you can pay to change it, then that might be okay, right? right? But compromises that don't involve, you know, a, a sort of a quantifiable number and a check yeah. um, are, are certainly more problematic. And one thing I'll kind of add is, we, I know we're going to wrap up soon, but even Stephen Trutter said this on interviews with startups, if it's here, the location is key. Because if you think, oh, I'm going to commute to this practice 75 minutes away because I love this practice. I'm single. You know, you may become married during that time. You may start to have children. And I just think it's like location. You should be flexible with Mm -hmm. location. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be between 15th and 18th Street in Philadelphia. It doesn't have to be Pennington, New Jersey. Maybe it's Mercer County. But sometimes I think dentists are so desperate to buy a practice that they make a a location compromise that they regret later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, and I think... You know, and that's that's a that's a change again that you can't write a check to 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 correct. But yeah. I think that kind of leads us into what I think is kind of my last topic yeah. on this is just generally, you know, keeping an open mind. Right. You know? and, and when I say keeping an open mind, but I think you know, sort of the sort of the the subheading to that, and you know, and and be realistic, right? right? Um, that don't just be set on one particular location, one particular right. practice, you know, because look, let's face it. I mean, again, as of the time that this recording is is being done, you know, we're still very much in a seller market. Yeah. So, you know, if you are looking for 
just the unicorn in one particular, you know, part of the forest, you might be wandering around, right. you know, looking for that for waiting for a long time. I mean, I always think, you know, my dad, you know, did the Air Force and was married and they uh, had me. And when they came back, their only criteria for a practice was the entire state of New Jersey. That mm -hmm. was their only criteria. That's pretty wide. Yeah. I get buyers who say, hey, Paul, do you have something just in Lawrenceville? And I say, hey, buyer, this isn't a candy store, right? <laughs> so I say, if you want just Lawrenceville or yeah. West Windsor, I, mean, yeah. I know New Jersey well, it could be a long time and you may never get a practice. Yeah. If you tell me that you're willing to do anything in Mercer and Middlesex County, well, now I can look for you. And I I understand, they say, yeah, my kids are in a school district, right? You know, I mean, if you think back to my parents, they had an infant. So now sometimes dentists are looking to buy a practice when they have two kids in a school district. So I totally get it. It's very difficult. But these are these are things that don't turn over that frequently. And I just think, you know, like you said, knowing your yourself before you start this process is the whole key. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good thing to uh, to wrap it up uh, here today, Paul. Yeah. Everybody, uh, hopefully, uh, you got some good uh, good ideas and uh, some good insights into you know things yeah. that Paul and I see. Um, you know, thanks for listening. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review. We don't get many reviews. Yeah, yeah you got to say something nice. About yeah, just my please. aunt is on there. She said something nice about us <laughs> about us once. Yeah, we're just trying to help you make the biggest decision of your life. Right. That's all. So, you know. That's all. Just that. <laughs> um, well, thanks for everybody for for listening, and thanks, Paul. It's always a pleasure. And until the next time. Awesome, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.